Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen at CFP Winning Edge, Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish. And we are brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. Follow them on Twitter at Campus 2 Canton. Gentlemen, uh, I assume Christmas was good. Everything was great. Uh, Nick, how, how have you been? Is it cold up there? <laughs> uh, it is, honestly, this week a little unseasonably warm for here. It might be still considered cold for folks a lot of places. Me. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're uh, you know, uh, toasty temperatures in the 40s, uh, overnight lows in the, you know, 30s or, or so but uh, we did have a good bit of snow earlier this month and a lot of it has melted so uh, it, it feels a little weird it felt like you know uh, winter was coming out in full force but uh, right around the holidays things started to, to warm up a little bit which is a little bit a little bit strange but it's also nice too and Xavier you're traveling uh, yeah. for the holidays every, everything safe and not delayed like I know a big chunk of the country had no, I've been good. Travel has been fine for us. Um, but look, I, I I pray for everybody who does have to deal with that because we've, we've driven to the airport to pick folks up over the last couple of days. And we've seen the lines. And <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, traveling, always fun. I was going to go uh, to Seattle this week, and uh, I didn't because the Longhorns made the playoff. And I want to be at home to watch the game, to scream at my TV. And not in a random hotel room. So, nice. um, but let's get to some of the action that has already happened. Nick, just tell me what have you learned watching these bowl games? How has the record been? Is this another impressive bowl year? And uh, yeah, just tell me everything uh, about the bowls that you've seen so far. Well, so as we uh, as we talk, uh, currently the Fenway Bowl is in the fourth quarter, so. Uh, we're going to skip talking about the the Thursday games, a little bit of a scheduling uh, change. I appreciate you guys being flexible with that, but sorry for everybody that uh, might have been looking forward to our projections and talking about them on uh, these Thursday games. But as we talk, it looks like we're going to lose uh, the SMU side and our uh, team strength numbers there. But fortunately, we we started out extremely hot, as we talked about last week. Uh, this week, not quite as fortunate, but our team strength numbers are still uh, 15 and 10 overall against the spread. We will certainly take that, take that percentage for the for the entire uh, bowl season for sure, if we're able to continue that. The talent edge numbers are even better, which makes a certain amount of sense because those are the ones that you know factor in uh, to the fullest extent, the opt-outs, the transfers, things like that. Uh, we're 17 and 8 on those. Our prism numbers, which are only stats, which it would make sense, are probably going to be the worst uh, numbers because they don't factor in any of those injuries, opt-outs, any of that sort of stuff. Uh, we're under 500 there. We're 11 and 14 as we talk. Um, and our totals with this uh, Fenway Bowl uh, yet to be decided, but it looks like we're probably going to end up coming out on the wrong side of that one. Looks like those are going to be 11 and 14 as well, which those are based on the prism numbers. Uh, so that that makes a certain amount of sense there as well. Uh, when we've got the wrong team favored, uh, according to our projections, uh, we are four and one currently with uh, plus nearly four 
units there, 3.96 units. All three favorite, uh, excuse me, when the, when the favorite is projected to cover in all three of our projection models, currently two and one in that situation. In our all three, just uh, across the board, we're nine and six. So I don't have a whole lot to complain about numbers-wise so far. I, I worry that this last batch of games that we'll be talking about, um, and also just sort of the last couple of days, honestly, things have not looked great. Things have not necessarily been trending in the right direction. So I'm not super optimistic we're going to be able to, uh, you know, carry this overall percentage all the way through in our team strength projections. But we'll see. You know, they, they have to play the games, of course, even if uh, our projections might look a little funny sometimes. Funny things happen in, in bowl games. But I am curious what, what you guys think as far as any takeaways so far. I wrestle a little bit on, you know, how much can we learn from these games as we look ahead to next year? Obviously, you know, as has been discussed ad nauseum, uh, the transfer portal makes it very, very difficult to, you know, know how much of, of this particular bowl team is going to be back next year. Cause it's not just who's graduating, who's going on to the NFL anymore, but you know, what are you going to lose your starting quarterback unexpectedly, or are you going to get, you know, bring somebody in who's got a lot of experience? Uh, it, it's just more and more difficult to, to be able to uh, really, you know, find something that you can take away and, and um, carry over to next year. But, you know, one team that, that stuck out to me uh, was Virginia tech. And part of it was because they just kept saying it over and over during the, broadcast but oh they're expected to bring back you know 10 starters on the offensive side of the ball they're expecting all these people back and hopefully for their sake that's true and if so i'm very curious to see how virginia tech specifically projects to next year um but you know i I wonder if they're a team that we really can learn a little bit from the end of season momentum they have the impressive bowl uh performance um but we haven't talked about it a ton so far this year, but bowl results, I don't factor in at all. Like all of our team performance numbers are done. Like we yeah. don't adjust them based on the bowl results. Um, just because I don't, I don't feel like. It's not the same team. It's exactly. Close to the same team. Exactly. Yeah. So, so curious if any players, any teams really jumped out to you. Of course, Miller Moss had a huge performance last night for USC. Um, but anybody else, are, are there some things that, that you guys have seen uh, that you think really have given us a glimpse or, or something that we can, uh, you know, look to, to just file away and, and, you know, put into uh, what we're going to expect for these teams looking ahead to, to 2024. Xavier, what do you think? Uh, is there anything that you are specifically pulling away from the bowl games that we've seen uh, like, like Nick said, anything specific with a player or a team or uh, anything? Yeah, I think for the most part, what I think I've walked away with is one, first and foremost, I, I think weather in these games maybe needs to be accounted for more than we're giving it credit. Sure. Um, you're, I'm, you're like, you know, we're talking about the, you know, Nick mentioned the Fenway Bowl and playing in a torrential downpour on a baseball stadium with really poor draining probably doesn't help SMU as much as it has helped. Boston College because they're a run first team, uh, and I think maybe you know with it be, with these games being in December and January, you know maybe weather should get 
a point difference with some of these matchups. I mean, these are the, the, the these weathers that we some of the weather that we've watched in some of these games has just been ridiculous, like torrential downpours. I'm just like, well, yeah, that team threw you know averaged 400 yards of passing a game. Good luck tonight. Like, I just you know I I, I think weather maybe needs to be accounted for just a tad bit more. Um, I also wonder if, and this is not necessarily answering you know just about the bowl games, but in general, if the committee, if the college football committee is going to recognize how weather, how much weather plays a factor in some of these matchups when we get to the playoffs next year, um, with us having now 12 teams and where they decide to have all of these games. I understand that it'll probably still all be New Year's Six Bowls turning into games, but I can only imagine what that would do for a team, you know, playing in Miami, possibly, and it's a torrential downpour um, in the middle of a playoff game. So just a thought. Um, the other piece is obviously the, one of the biggest things takeaways, takeaways I've had is quarterback play is still king. I think if you're a quarterback for, for majority of these teams, quarterback play has been the reason why they're winning or losing these games. We've had some really, uh, poor, you know, we, we've had some really poor performances um, in, in here, right? Like Mendoza um, at Cal throwing three picks, even though he still led the, led both teams in passing yards. The three picks obviously changes the entire complexion of that game against Texas Tech. Um, Belt Camp at Western Kentucky throwing five touchdown afternoon. Um, obviously, you know, taking being able to lead his team to a win over Old Dominion and OT. Um, and I think for me, that has been something that coming into bowl season, it's very interesting to see how each quarterback comes in and how comfortable they feel, especially for a lot of the teams that don't have opt-outs, don't have draft eligible guys, don't have guys in the transfer portal. A lot of these quarterbacks in this game in particular, and this has been said before, get an extra two, sometimes two and a half or even three weeks of practice. And some guys look just a lot better than what they did during the year. One that, you know, even though his numbers don't necessarily point to it, but I thought Ethan Garbers looked a lot better in stretches of their bowl game than he had at points this year. Um, you know, and I thought, thought that his steadiness at the quarterback position, even though, like I said, he didn't throw for a ton of yards, he still was able to be a steadier force at the quarterback position, something that hasn't been the case for UCLA all year. And they put out a pretty decent performance this year um, against the Boise State team. Obviously, it helps that your running game was uh, that they were able to do other things. But when he's able to throw for 152 and two touchdowns, and no, I have any turnovers. That's not necessarily Ethan Garbers we've seen this season, but maybe the extra practice weeks, the extra reps, was able to get him better prepared for this game. Um, and then lastly, like I like every bowl season, and this is why I love bowl season. G five teams continue to show you that they can play at all levels, um, and I think that's extremely important, right? Uh, South Florida beating the putting forty five spot on Syracuse, winning forty five to nothing. Um, Troy and Duke being an absolute battle. Um, being at 17 to 10. Um, and as we get closer and closer, as we get farther and farther into these games and get more matchups of G5 versus P5, it'll be very interesting to see how these teams play. Even UNLV, in what was one of the weirder games, even though it didn't finish weird, UNLV being able to keep pace with one of the higher-end offenses in the Big 12 this year in Kansas, losing the game by two scores, but also picking off Bean three times. At one point, I believe that game was either tied or it was, you know, they were down by less than a score. Um, in that matchup. So once again, you know, you know, G5 teams being able to play with the P5 is something that obviously always intrigues me about bowl season because it's always going to be a factor um, in bowl season. Uh, so, yeah, those are my biggest takeaways. I'm excited to see what's, what we've got coming up uh, for the rest of the bowl games. And we'll get into those in a second. Segways.
Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Miller Moss was uh, yeah. outstanding. You know, the, the six touchdowns was incredible. And, you know, look, credit to Lincoln Riley for getting his guys to play after the, the mm-hmm. horrible effort that they had last season. I think that was big for him was another thing that I took away uh, from the bowl games here. So, yeah, th- there's little to learn. But as you said, Nick, like, these teams with so many opt-outs, so many transfer portal things, different coaching staffs on a lot of these teams, there's just a lot in the interim that is not going to be permanent. So it's really hard to trust what you saw in a bowl game, which Texas makes them more difficult to with like 50 scholarship players or something. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 It's just, it's, uh, it's fun. It, it's fun. Exciting. It's weird. Boston college is winning this game somehow, you know, like, uh, it's just, uh, it it's strange. Uh, it's stranger now. I feel like than it has been, uh, in the past, like five years as well. So, um, but let's get to some more of the weirdness. Let's talk about the transfer portal. And, um, there has been some big names that have put themselves in the transfer portal, Nick. So I'll kind of hand it to you to tell us who the big names are. Well, it, it fortunately has slowed down a little bit as far as uh, major, um, you know, well-known top line uh, players. I'm sure we'll get a little bit of a, a spike again once the window is set to close, because I, I believe it's the same as it you know was in the previous few windows where um, as long as you're in before the, the deadline, the final date, uh, then you know you'll you'll have time to to commit and to sign later. But uh, the last few days, and and since we last recorded, we've seen um, you know some some relatively high profile uh, quarterbacks, running backs, a couple of defenders uh, make some decisions on whether or not to enter or, or actually uh, sign earlier this morning. Uh, Jane Delora, former starter at, at uh, Washington State in Arizona, um, I believe is, is now officially in the transfer portal. It'll be kind of interesting to see someone his level of experience um, and really, you know, has been productive and, and uh, didn't lose his job necessarily due to performance. He got hurt. Uh, Noah Fafita came in and, and just, you know, played so well that uh, they, they really couldn't take him out. Um, so curious to see where he ends up, uh, Diego Pavia, uh, because we've had a coaching change, an, an opening and immediately uh, a new hire since we last spoke. But New Mexico State, Jerry Kill stepped aside since then. Um, they you know, added Tony Sanchez or, or promoted him to uh, the, the head coaching position there, wide receivers coach, I believe, at, at New Mexico State. Uh, who has been, you know, was the the head coach at UNLV uh, a, a few cycles ago. Um, he's taken back over at, at uh, his alma mater now in New Mexico State, but the Aggies have lost quite a few players on both sides of the ball, but most notably quarterback Diego Pavia, um, who's getting some interest from some, you know, pretty interesting uh, potential landing spots. I know, you know, our, our uh, friends uh, at Campus to Canton are, are very excited from a CFF standpoint. Uh, sounds like Pavia's got an offer from Western Kentucky. Uh, could be a, a very interesting landing spot. Xavier mentioned Beltnap coming back, uh, exiting the, the transfer portal. So he'll be um, factoring into that that quarterback, you know, 
uh, competition or, or uh, situation. Washington State, another one, uh, would be a, a very interesting spot for Pavia. Uh, your guy, Scott uh, Malik Murphy, uh, moving on from Texas. Unfortunate timing, not going to be able to be with the Longhorns during the playoff, but landing at Duke. Um, think that that'll be a, a, That's spot. a good spot for him. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Another former Texas quarterback, uh, Casey Thompson is in the portal again. Uh, he'll be on his fourth school, I believe, uh, assuming he, he doesn't end up going back to, to FIU, uh, FAU, excuse me. A, a name that might not be super familiar to most of our listeners, um, Giovanni McCoy, two-year starter at Idaho, led the Vandals to a uh, FCS playoff semifinal appearance this year um, has been, you know, all conference caliber uh, quarterback was uh, the, the FCS freshman of the year uh, as a redshirt freshman in 2022. Um, he is committed to Oregon state. So uh, they've already you know found their replacement for DJ Uyunglele and, and I think is, is going to be a pretty good um fit there should should his game should translate uh pretty well i i believe to you know the fbs level um but there have been some high profile running backs uh the the biggest name to commit probably in in you know the last week or so trevor etienne going from florida to arch rival georgia major impact there uh georgia also landed colby young from miami uh should be a, a great pickup uh, for the Bulldogs, but, uh, you know, all Mac running back, Penny Boone, former Maryland running back, uh, probably headed back to, you know, power five, uh, opportunity that, that one is very interesting. Jaquindon Jackson, a favorite of mine, another former, uh, Texas quarterback, uh, in the portal looking for, a, a now a third spot, but, um, I will be very interested to hear where he ends up. Texas also landed Trey Moore, just an incredibly productive pass rusher and, and edge defender uh, has had two excellent years at UTSA. Um, and then Walter Nolan is one of the higher rated uh, players on the defensive side of the ball, uh, really in any position um, has moved on from Texas A&M. He's since committed to Ole Miss, who is seemingly uh, signing every other prospect and, and a finalist for pretty much the rest of them. So um uh, enough still to to be decided, but uh, some very uh, interesting, you know, players have have already made up their mind and are are headed to new uh, new spots. But you know, plenty more um, yet to commit to sign, and and I'm sure we'll get a few more surprises before all said and done as well. Xavier, your thoughts on the transfer portal? Who are you most excited to see on their new team? Yeah, obviously, I love Walter Nolan going to Ole Miss. Obviously, they need to help up front, but he stays in the SEC. Uh, so that's going to be a guy that we get to see every Saturday, and I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. What was hoping that, you know, maybe he'd come over to the dog side, but, hey, we can't always get what we want. Um, so, but, but love his move in particular. Um, I'm hopefully, I love Malik Murphy going to Duke. I'm hoping that his athleticism can be used similarly to the way that they use Riley Leonard, but that he also grows as a passer. I think that's obviously huge for him and obviously a big need. I think in the times at, at Texas where he did play this year, you saw the athleticism on display, right? That's a kid who can outrun a lot of people in college football, but needs to be refined as a passer. Um, and I think that 
as he begins to be refined as a passer, maybe will make himself a, a possible NFL candidate later in uh, later in time. Obviously, I'm huge. But I'm, I'm big on the two Georgia moves. You went and got yourself a big time receiver. You're going to be losing Brock Bowers. You could be losing Lat McConkie. You need to go out and get more guys. Um, they've already acquired London Humphrey, so I think we've talked about in a previous podcast. But Kobe Young is is a big target. Um, you know, huge physical specimen out of Miami. Um, who I'm looking forward to him just using more with, with Carson Beck next year. I think that's one the one thing one of the one things this team was missing when Brock Bowers went out was really a 50-50 guy. Um, and you've got that now with Kobe Young in an abundance. Obviously, Trevor Etienne, come on now. They're watching him at Florida tear up the entire SEC. Um, so to get somebody, you know, get a real big play back uh, for a team that I think was really missing that last year um, until Kendall Milton kind of came on towards the end of the year. Huge move. Um, big fan of Jaden Delora. So him entering the portal was kind of – we, we all saw that kind of happening with uh, Fafiti kind of, you know, doing what he did at Arizona this year. But that's one of the more electric quarterbacks in college football. Like, that kid is electrifying. Um, as long as he can stay healthy and wherever he decides uh, to go, I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, we talked about him coming into the year, um, and I've got a set of friends, and they know who they are who don't necessarily watch Pac-12 football. And when I told them that Shador Sanders wasn't better than Jaden Delora, they looked. They were like, what is wrong with you? Do you, do you, do you watch football? I was like, do you? Because um, Jaden Delora, easily uh, one of the more electrifying quarterbacks in the Pac-12 over the last couple of years. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately that he got hurt. Um, I had one of them text me and ask me, was Fafiti Jaden Delora? And I was like, actually, they're very similar players. Um, they're just, you know, obviously – one was healthy this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, let's see. Do I have any other ones that I'm, like, extremely high on? I don't think so. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think I'll stop with that one. All right. Um, let's get into some of these bowl games here. We're going to go uh, by day here uh, to kind of make it, uh, you know, a little quicker. We will run no timers for Nick. All right, <laughs> I promise. No, no timers this week. So, but let's start out on Friday tomorrow as we record this. First game is the Gator Bowl, Clemson versus Kentucky. The uh, line here is Clemson by four and a half. The total is 44 and a half. Then we will move to the Sun Bowl, Oregon State against Notre Dame. That game is Notre Dame by six and a half. The total is 41 and a half. We have the Liberty Bowl between Memphis and Iowa State. The line there is Iowa State by 10 and a half. 57 and a half is the total and the game to end out tomorrow is the cotton bowl, Missouri versus Ohio state. One of my favorite bowl games here, Ohio state is a two and a half point favorite 48 and a half is the total in this game. So Nick, what do you think about the games on Friday? Well, so uh, there are two very different uh, outcomes in our projections. The first two uh, are, our projection and the official line, the, the Vegas Insider consensus that we've used for years and years, um, are almost dead on. Our, our Clemson projection, uh, or, or excuse me, the, the first game, uh, we've got Clemson uh, in the Gator Bowl favored by 4.56 uh, against the 4.5 uh, official line. In the Sun Bowl, we've got Notre Dame favored by 6.46 in the, the 6.5. Uh, official projection. So, you know, it's it's going to be uh, basically, are we lucky enough to to just be percentage points on on the right side here? 
against the spread um, because, you know, otherwise it, it's basically just we are our projection is what the odds makers in the market have at this point. So, you know, me personally, I don't see uh, a, a huge edge or, or I don't have a, a major disagreement with either of those projections. If we do uh, take into account how our talent edge numbers are actually a little bit sharper to this point, um, both of those actually side with the underdogs. So uh, in, in the you know Clemson game, we'd be a little more on the Kentucky side. So there's a, a bit of a disagreement there officially, but you know not by a, a major uh, amount. Uh, but then in in the Sun Bowl, it's you know a little uh, more support for us being on Oregon State officially to cover. Oregon State, of course, is. Uh, down well both uh in, in the sun bowl you know we're, we're working with backup quarterbacks on both sides notre dame is also going to be without uh their top running back basically their entire starting wide receiver core um but oregon state is is going to be shorthanded as well Damian this Martinez. is why we don't take what happens in these bowl games into right. next season this is the exact reason Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, Oregon State's got uh, several players who've already committed to uh, postseason All-Star games, Shrine Bowl type uh, games, and at least one Senior Bowl uh, as well. I know Oregon State's without at least three starters on the offensive side of the ball. Might be a couple of others on on either side. So yeah, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of major insight there. Um, the other two are perhaps the games in which our projections see some of the biggest edges, but also I, th I think my opinion lines up the Liberty bowl. And I didn't, I, this was an oversight on my part when I put the official projections out there. Um, I, I didn't connect that Memphis was playing in the Liberty bowl. So they're at home. Um, we saw one game earlier this year where the uh, one bowl team played on its home field, South Alabama, I don't think it was a major factor in that just absolute blowout performance. Um, but our projection is overwhelmingly on the side of Memphis. Iowa State's a double-digit favorite. Uh, we have Memphis as about a field goal favorite, so nearly a two-touchdown difference in our team strength projection. In the talent edge side of things, we've got Memphis as a double-digit favorite. So there's nearly a or over actually a three touchdown difference in our projection. So either this is our stone cold lock of the century of the season of the week or something's really wrong with our number. So when I when I posted it in the, the Campus to Canton Discord, I said, you know, I, I might be uh, betting my entire net worth on uh, Memphis. Uh, probably shouldn't because, again, these bowl games are weird. Weird things can happen. Uh, but there is just a, a huge, huge gap in our projection and what the odds makers have. So is that right? Is that wrong? I can't say. Our numbers have been uh, really low on Iowa State most of the season um, from a week-to-week -week standpoint. Uh, they were pretty close to spot-on season-wide. Our, our preseason, you know, uh, regular season win total projection. Um, we were on the over for Iowa State and it, it hit. So uh, that, you know, makes me think that that we're not just completely off on Iowa State, uh, 
Um, but going to, to Xavier's point about a, a power five group of five matchup um, and the American has struggled in these matchups so far this year, we just saw SMU lose to a six and six Boston college team. We also saw Tulane, another 11 win team lose to a six and six ACC team. Uh, so perhaps that's not a great sign for us, but yeah, I mean, Memphis, according to our projection, um, is a, a pretty solid matchup, uh, even without taking into account the fact that they're playing on their home field. Um, you know, Seth Hennigan, quality quarterback, multi-year starter in his in his third uh, season as a starter. Uh, Blake Watson at running backs had a great year so far. Memphis has lost some players to the transfer portal. They're they're uh, going to be without a couple of starters on the offensive line. So that is a factor, but they haven't been, you know, decimated to my knowledge by uh, transfers otherwise, or, you know, guys opting out. Um, Iowa state's going to be more or less at, at full strength, but, you know, this is an Iowa state team that their, their talent profile is not much better, if at all better, honestly, than Memphis. They're one of the lower ranked teams in roster strength in a power five conference. Um, they came in, you know, w- with a relatively inexperienced roster, Rocco Beck, redshirt freshman starting quarterback. They're now down to uh, Abu Sama, true freshman running back, had a, a huge end of the season. Um, they've, they've got some playmakers at receiver and Jalen Noel and Jaden Higgins. Um, but, you know, they're, they're uh, a top 30 team in team performance, but 51st in our power ranking. So again, this is, I think, a winnable game for Memphis. So even though it is a bit jarring anytime our projections are so different uh, than what the the market has, you know, I, I, I don't mind that we're on the Memphis side of things plus 10 and a half. Anything can happen, but um, yeah, I, 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 I think we're, on the right side, or at least I'm okay with it. Um, but maybe, maybe the edge isn't, you know, quite as big as our numbers suggest. Ohio state and Missouri somewhat similar. This number has moved around a ton. Uh, Ohio state was a pretty big favorite when the game was announced. Of course, since then they've had, uh, some transfers, Kyle McCord starting quarterback key among them. It's also expected Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to play in this game. Uh, they've got several players committed to the senior bowl. They've also lost some depth to the transfer portal, uh, some backups primarily in the back seven uh, uh, defensively. Um, but Missouri's a team that's just been red hot this year. Uh, they've made a lot of noise in you know, the, the transfer portal on signing day, they're a team that is going to be uh, a, a real trendy pick to, you know, maybe get one of those at, la- at large spots for a, a playoff bid next year. I mean, they right now look like maybe uh, the number two team in the SEC East behind Georgia based on what we expect uh, them to, to bring back. Uh, Brady Cook, excellent year as starting quarterback, um, really overachieved everybody's expectations. Luther Burden is, you know, one of the elite talents at the wide receiver position in college football. Uh, they've got a, a solid number two in Theo Weiss Jr., who's coming back. They have to replace Cody Schrader, the you know great story at running back from Division II uh, transfer to All-American. 
Um, and they're going to have to, to build some depth and, and rebuild their uh, offensive and defensive lines a bit. Uh, but this Missouri team is having a great year, 10 wins. And, and on paper looks like, you know, certainly they would be capable of, of uh, playing Ohio State, but uh, or, you know, being in this game and, and perhaps winning it at, at a certain point, I believe they were even favored in this game. But as it looked like Ohio State maybe wasn't going to lose quite as many opt-outs as expected. Looks like Travion or sounds like Travion Henderson is going to play in this game. Sounds like Amike Egbuka is going to play in this game. Um, you know, the offensive line, I haven't heard, uh, and it's certainly possible I missed something, but I haven't heard anything about uh, any of the, the seniors opting out. Um, there's some positive uh, reporting that, you know, some of the, uh, specifically Jack Sawyer, one of their higher rated uh, defensive linemen, um, could be coming back for a senior in, senior in year next year. So that would indicate that he's going to play in this game. Haven't heard anything specific about guys who are moving on, uh, like Tommy Eichenberg is going to the Senior Bowl. Josh Proctor is going to the NFL. Um, I would expect JC, or excuse me, JT uh, Tumalau is probably moving on to the NFL, but haven't heard anything about an opt-out for him. Sounds like, for the most part, other than uh, McCord, being gone and, and there's some excitement to see what Devin Brown can do uh, starting at quarterback. And then Travion Henderson, who it sounds like might be considering coming back for his senior year uh, at running back, you know, don't know for sure, but um, sounds like it's more possible than, than maybe we previously expected. You know, this Ohio state team who we've talked about all year as being our preseason number one team, they were our number one team at the end of the year. Uh, they are down now down to, third um based on some of the movement but they're still a heavy favorite they are are a double digit favorite in our projections um and i i think i feel okay about that i think i feel good about being on the ohio state side of things um this is a game where ohio state clearly is the more talented team talent edge is is double digits here um you know this this meets our all three agree on a favorite and there's a big edge in, in all three projection models, seven points or more. Um, so if you factor in, you know, something that we don't, who's more motivated, you probably would side with Missouri maybe. Um, but I don't know, Ohio State uh, doesn't have a lot of the other factors that generally go into a team not being motivated. I mean, you know, other than a transition at quarterback, other than, a premium elite player uh, in Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. not expected to play. Besides that, they're they're pretty close to full strength, and and you know I don't I don't think this is a team that's necessarily mailing it in, um, despite coming up short in, in a, a playoff bid. So um, you know the the first two games can't say you know we're going to get lucky or unlucky uh, one way or the other based on how those finish and, and our projections. But these two. Uh, the the Liberty Bowl and and uh, then the uh, I forgot the name of the bowl Cotton Bowl. Um, our numbers see clear favorites by big margin, big edges, um, and and I think these are the two that line up most with my opinions on you know yeah I, I, I either there's something that our numbers are, are not right on or or my Opinion is is way off, but these seem to me to be legitimately the 
the biggest edges we've got in projections. And, and I think I, I think I agree. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on some of these Friday games. I mean, there's some good ones. Gator bowl for sure. seems to be a lot of fun. And I like this Oregon state Notre Dame matchup and Missouri, Ohio state seems like a good one too. So uh, even though there are big edges, uh, are, are you liking these games? Who do you like in them? Yeah. So Clemson, Kentucky, right off the bat, I think has to be one of those games where Clemson kind of proves, you know, kind of similarly to what we saw last year to a degree, even though they lost the game, they show some, some progression on the offensive side of the football. K Klub did continues to show that he's got the chops to be the starting quarterback next year. I'm not saying it's a make or break year for Clemson next year, but it's also not one that I, I think they can afford to have a mediocre year either. Uh, I feel like they have been kind of buying their time with their fan base, but that's another fan base that's tasted success that needs to see, get back to that. Um, you know, especially with all the rumors around conference realignment from the ACC in particular, after what's been going on uh, with Florida state recently, you know, Clemson having a good year could only bode well for them going forward. So they definitely need to kind of start off that kind of train with a good performance against Kentucky, a Kentucky team that has probably had a, a weird, like last month, right? Mark Stoops was all but gone uh, for like 12 hours. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, Hey buddy, welcome back. You know, sorry. It didn't work out for you. A&M. Uh, but we love you here in, in, in bluegrass country. So uh, welcome back to Kentucky. But uh, so, yeah, I just feel like, you know, on the Kentucky side, uh, obviously finishing off with a win against a, a story program in Clemson would obviously be huge for them. I'm really in, interested on both quarterback sides, what what each of them look like in this game. Um, obviously, the quarterback is, is going to be what I think separates these two. Um, because Clemson, I think defensively, I think both teams defensively have shown themselves to be good enough. Um, obviously, Clemson's not nearly as dominant with some of their guys opting out and some of those guys being in a transfer portal like Andrew McCuba. Um, but I, I expect Clemson to win this game. I, I really, like I said, I really I really think Cade is Cade can start the Cade Kubnik train with a game this week, um, with a very impressive performance uh, this week, because I think that guy has all the tools. He just needs to put it together more consistently than he did in this previous season. And at the end of the day, I think we can all say going into next year, the ACC is rather for grabs. So what better way than the Clemson to kind of put a stamp on that by blowing out an SEC team um, in a bowl game and showing that they are still one of the you know better teams in the country, uh, quote unquote. So I've got Clemson in that matchup. Like I said, I, I believe in their quarterback situation more. So I'm going to go that I'm going to go in that direction. Oregon State and Notre Dame is very interesting to me. Um, I think both of these teams are are good at what they at what they really want to do and that's running the football both of these teams are are, are run heavy or have been run heavy teams this year so i'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like obviously without their two starting backs what the rest of their running back rooms look like obviously this is an opportunity for both of those teams as far as their running back rooms are concerned to kind of stake their claim for next season um i'm also i'm also excited to see you know what ultimately oregon state looks like at the quarterback spot obviously DJ hopped back into the portal. Uh, so I wanted to see. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see if um, if at the end of the day that changes the style in which they play. Um, if you've watched Oregon State a lot this year, they've been a team that is both run heavy, not only at the running back position, but also they run a lot of they ran a lot of power. O, uh, or, you know, a lot of power, excuse me, for DJ. So I wonder if that changes a little bit. I wonder if that if they, they try to expand uh, their range a little bit with a different quarterback um, for Notre Dame. I mean, I feel like that defense is going to be really, really good against Oregon State. The one thing Oregon State doesn't have and or hasn't, you know, done uh doesn't have and, and hasn't really done a lot of is, you know, 
they don't have a lot of big receivers, um, at least not that start on a consistent basis. Um, I think Notre Dame has done a really good job against teams who cannot stretch the football against them. Um, hell, they were able to even do it against Ohio State, and that's one of the better. And that, and that team obviously has the receivers, just didn't have the quarterback play. So I'm expecting Notre Dame to win this game. Um, I think because DJ is not going to be there for Oregon State, I do feel like Notre Dame's defense will be very opportunistic, um, as they have been this season, and be able to get after the quarterback as well. Um, and Marcus Freeman will be able to check off another bowl, uh, check off a bowl win for him this year, which I think for Notre Dame, when you really look at their whole the year as a whole, I think finishing where they're at is a Right around where I would have expected them, ten and three, um, being a, a solid number. I think for Notre Dame fans, they might feel like this season maybe was a miss. You know, you lost to Clemson by eight, you lost to Ohio State by three points. You take, you, you know, you, you flip those two games, you might have been in the playoff this year, right? Obviously, um, they do still have that one loss, one very more convincing loss uh, to Louisville earlier in the year. But I think this is right around where I expected them to finish, uh, finishing with ten wins, ten and three. The games that they lost, all but Clemson, looking at, looking back at it, probably were pretty much expected at the time that they played. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, the, they finish off the year with, with, with a nice little bow um, on top of the present with the Christmas festivities. For Memphis against Iowa State, this is an interesting one because, as Nick alluded to with the G5 versus P5, I think Memphis is one of the teams, I think, over the last couple of years who's had rather decent success at, against the P5 when they've played them. Um, so this is not going to be a program that goes into it scared at all. Uh, this isn't even the biggest stage that this program has played on in the last two or three years. So I expect them to not have any jitters or anything like that playing at the Liberty Bowl. Obviously, they're playing at home, uh, so that should be huge. They should be – I expect the crowd to be, what, 70-30, and that might be being generous to Iowa State traveling. Uh, but, I mean, hey. I think I was. I'm not. I'm not sure if Iowa State travels, so don't quote me on that. But I still expect the stadium to be rather Memphis heavy, um, not just from a fan perspective, but obviously from people in and around the city who just want to go see a bowl game in, the, in you know in December. So, um, interesting note about playing the Liberty Bowl: extremely windy, like extremely windy. Um, I don't know if it's the the way the bowl is built or whatever, but it swirls. I mean, my parents went. And you, it's just, it feels like a tornado the entire time, especially in the winter. Uh, so I wonder if that has any real effect on this game in particular, because that bowl, that the, the way that bowl is designed, yeah, every, every, I feel like every bowl game I've watched there for the last couple of years, the weather has been really rough and wind has been a large part of, uh, has been a large part of that. So that'll be interesting. On the Iowa State side, this is a team that, you know, I feel like was, has been playing their best football for the, almost the last month. Um, obviously you have one loss to Kansas, but they were able to beat the brakes off of BYU in early November, beat Kansas State at the end of the year um, in a shootout. And, and I think for, for about three quarters, they were right neck and neck with, with, with Texas, right? I think that game was, what, 15 to 9 going into the fourth quarter. Um, and so I think that, you know, they had an opportunity even in that game to really uh, to possibly, you know, uh, yeah, see? <laughs> Nick put it in the, in the private chat. High of 41 with 11-mile-per-hour wins uh, for Friday's game against the Liberty Bowl. Yes. Um uh, but, yeah, you know, I think Iowa State's been playing some of their best football. So I'm interested to see if they can carry that against this Memphis team. Uh, the quarterback, I feel like, has, ter- has turned the corner um, in some respects. Um, he's had, I think, in his last three games, he's thrown nine touchdowns, I want to say, or se- either se- seven or eight touchdowns, I, I want to say, um, and only one interception. So been a really productive last three weeks for him. Like we talked about earlier, these extra weeks of practice, these extra reps that he could get in, he could really have a great performance uh, against Memphis in the, in the Liberty Bowl. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than 
Iowa State by 10 and a half, but I still think Iowa State pulls it out probably by something closer to maybe three or, or five. Um, and then the last one, Missouri versus Ohio State is going to be the, my favorite game of the day. Um, both of these teams, high, high, high end offenses. Um, I think it's going to be funny. I cannot, I, I will purposely make sure that I turn on all Ohio State notifications going into this game because if Devin Brown, for whatever reason, has an excellent performance, they're going to be just so unnecessarily irate that he didn't play this year. Um, and now what you have him having a full complement of receivers coming back with Emeka Ibuka practicing and not opting out, it looks like. Um, Cardinal Tate is a guy that I know is all over the CFF boards, but obviously a guy that we're looking at next year for draft uh, draft conversation. Um, and, you know, you've already got clips coming out of Devin Brown and Emeka Ibuka creating a great bond in practice. Um, so I'm telling you, if, if Devin Brown like goes out there against a, a Missouri team that secondary wise has been really excellent this year, they haven't always been able to put it together week in and week out, but secondary has been rather good. Rake Straw, who I believe is playing. Um, uh, he, so there, he and uh, one other Missouri starter on defense, uh, Hopper are injured. Tyron Hopper and Ennis Rake Straw, Rake Straw. Uh, apparently are both going to be out due to injury, not necessarily opt out. But yeah, Rake Straw, yeah. so not just even outside of Rake Straw, but that secondary has been rather good, um, pretty much all year. This is a team that's a, that's a team that definitely, had, I think, towards the end of the year found its footing. Even against Georgia, it, I mean, before the SEC championship game, gave Georgia it's probably one of its more competitive games of the year um, in Athens. So I, I really think that you know Missouri it shouldn't come into this game as too much of an underdog. So I understand the Ohio State by two and a half. I think I'm going to lean towards Missouri in this one. I think I'm going to let the SEC bias take over um, just and, and and lean towards Missouri. I think they've got more cohesion, obviously. The Browns having to ramp up for a, you know, a pretty sizable game just, you know, in about two and a half weeks uh, of preparation uh, against a team in, in Missouri who's going to show him a lot of different packages. It's a team that is blitz heavy. There's a team that likes to play zone and behind the blitz um, and likes to make and tries to make the quarterback make tough throws. Um, if, Ohio State can't run the football, it's going to be a very long game for them. Um, if they try to go out there and just go four wide and say, we're going to, you know, we're going to air it out. On the Missouri side, I mean, come on now. Luther Burden and company, we know what that offense looks like. They are one of the better offenses in the country, having one of the more um, explosive offenses in the country, for sure. And I think the biggest question for me is can Brady Cook continue to perform like he has been? Um, when you have a guy who kind of flashes onto the scene the way he has this year, you're always kind of in the back of your mind thinking, does he drop off at some point? Is there a time where all of a sudden, you know, things hit the fan? And for all intents and purposes, he has not really had a game where I look at, especially playing some of the bigger teams in the SEC this year, where I go, he's the reason why they lost today. And so I think that, you know, I trust him to a, I trust him to a degree, and I think that Eli Drinkwitz does as well, and we'll expect him to make those throws and make those, you know, make the proper reads, and more importantly, show off his legs when he can't get the ball to some of their guys on the outside. Uh, so give me Missouri here in this game. I think that Missouri gets probably their biggest bowl victory since they left the Big 12. Um, and, yeah. All right, let's go to Saturday, and we have four more games on Saturday. We start with the Peach Bowl, which is Ole Miss versus Penn State. Penn State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. 48-and-a-half is the total. Then we move to the Music City Bowl, Auburn versus Maryland. Auburn is the uh, six-and-a-half-point favorite, 46-and-a-half is a total in that one. Then we have the Orange Bowl, which I have a large ticket on Georgia. 
uh, right now versus Florida State. A lot of opt-outs for Florida State. Uh, a lot of guys just not playing. Georgia is a 19-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. 44-and-a-half is the total. And we cap it off with the Arizona Bowl, Toledo versus Wyoming. Wyoming is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, and the total is 44-and-a-half. Uh, Nick, what do you think about the games on Saturday? Well, so uh, one thing I, I didn't say about Missouri and Ohio State, I said Missouri probably would be in the mix to be maybe the second best team in the SEC East going into next year, expected to be. Uh, Ole Miss probably uh, similarly uh, expectations will be high on the, the SEC. Well, actually, the, the SEC East and West aren't even a thing anymore, right? So, um so, so take that back, but, uh, our, you know, trying to go back to our earlier conversation, what can we learn from this bowl season and apply it to next year? I feel like Missouri and Ole Miss are teams that, especially if they win, especially if they look good in, in these two games, uh, against two of the, you know, top teams in the big 10, uh, Ohio state and Penn state respectively, um, both of those teams are going to enter 2024 with really, really high expectations, uh, and compared to, to, you know, where they've been in, in, uh, past years, uh, probably really, really on the high side, like top 10 type teams, Ole Miss based on the guys that are coming in, uh, have committed or, or signed already as transfers, especially if Jackson Dart comes back at quarterback, which I, I think is uh, more likely than not. Although earlier today, uh, Thursday interview press conference sounded like he was uh, still figuring some things out, but you know, Quinchon Judkins coming back. We know Trey Harris is committed to coming back. Kate Prescorn uh, committed to coming back. Uh, they've done a ton of work already uh, rebuilding the secondary and, and uh, the defensive line. Um, so, you know, this, this Ole Miss team, I wouldn't be shocked if they are a top five, top six preseason team in our power rankings, um, just based on the level of you know talent and, and uh, the, the ratings uh, of players who are coming back in addition to the ones that they are adding. Um, so I'm, I'm, these two games in particular, I do think I'll be watching a little bit more closely with an eye toward 2024 than I would be in most games because Penn State is a uh, a team that is in a little bit of a similar situation. I mean, they they uh, have already lost, um, you know, a few of their their top players are moving on to the NFL. A couple of offensive linemen, a couple of defensive. Uh, really, uh, players at each level of the defense uh, for Penn State. There's there's definitely going to be some uh, holes to fill on that side of the ball, uh, in addition to Manny Diaz, defensive coordinator, moving on. Um, but a couple of offensive linemen, tight end Theo Johnson. But, you know, the core, uh, or, you know, Drew Aller at quarterback, uh, Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen at running back. Sounds like both, I, I believe, are planning on coming back. Um, not 100% sure the, the wide receiver situation, but it seems like, uh, everybody's got uh, eligibility if they want to return. Penn State, for the most part, has not been a team that is super active in the transfer portal in you know raw numbers. They pick and choose and, and add a key piece here or there. Um, but they're a team that has really uh, put together a, a talented 
roster, top 10 in roster strength, overall offense and defense. Uh, so they're a team who's going to enter 2024 um, probably, you know, top 10 in our power rankings. They're currently eighth. Uh, Ole Miss is, is uh, ninth, I believe. So this is a top 10 matchup uh, based on uh, currently who's, who's expected to play in this game. And Penn State coming off a, a year and where they're ranking uh, number two in defensive team performance, number three against the run, number seven against the pass. Uh, to my knowledge, only one defensive player has opted out, Chop Robinson. Um, but, uh, you know, this this is going to be a very interesting matchup of two teams who uh, will have very high expectations moving into to next season. Our projections uh, line up on the side of Ole Miss to uh, cover. We do have Penn State as a slight one-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, in our team strength model, we actually have the talent edge going to Ole Miss. Uh, the prism model has Penn State covering, so three you know, quite different perspectives on this game. Um, but to me, specifically, among – uh, maybe any of the, the remaining games. Um, this one, I, I think, uh, might give us the, the most uh, takeaways as we can you know, apply to, to next season. We'll have to be careful, of course, because bowl games are, are just so weird in, in any sense. I probably shouldn't make major uh, jump to, to conclusions in any way, whatever happens. But... Um, I think I think we could probably pick up a, a clue here or there. I'm also really interested in Auburn. Um, you know, going uh, against Maryland, a, a Maryland team where Talia Tungavailoa is not going to be playing. Um, Auburn is red hot on the recruiting trail. Uh, the wide receiver group that they have added for uh, next season uh, is off the charts as far as high school talent. Um, I expect they will be adding some. Uh, more quality pieces through the portal as well. I have pretty high expectations for Auburn entering next season. I expect they're probably going to be uh, at least top 25 in our preseason power rankings, maybe top 20. Um, they're a team, I think, that that is really on the rise. Maryland could go either way. They're losing some key pieces on both sides of the ball. Uh, in this game, they're going to be a little bit shorthanded. I mentioned Tonga Bailoa, but also uh, their top, Linebacker is transferred to Michigan. Uh, tight end uh, Corey Dietrichus is in the transfer portal. Um, so there's, you know, some some key pieces they're going to have to replace in the secondary. Uh, so even though we're on Maryland specifically, technically to cover the six and a half, um, I'm not super confident in that. Our talent edge is is firmly on Auburn, double digits. Um, I, I feel a little bit better about that one. Auburn's just a team that that really does seem to be, uh, you know, got through year one under uh, Hugh Freeze and and really kind of gearing up ahead for a, a big, um, you know, year two bump. I, I think I think they're definitely going to be a team that's that's in the mix there. So um, I would side with Auburn over our our projection. I think the talent edge has the the better uh, projection there. Georgia, Florida State. This is a, a a strange one. You you alluded to it, Scott. The the number of opt outs for Florida State is huge. I mean, no team probably is is going to be as impacted um, by players who are not there. Um, and of course, we've talked about it before. Very unfortunate situation, in my opinion. They got left out of the playoff. This would be a different Florida State team if they were gearing up to play uh, in a semifinal game 
but you know we'll get a, a glance to look at can Brock Glenn show some improvement at quarterback compared to uh, how well or, or not he played in the ACC championship game. Um, you know, some of the wide receivers, there's going to be opportunities to step up for guys like uh, Kentron Poitier, Destin Hill. Um, curious to see how they use Ja'Kai Douglas, the, the running back wide receiver hybrid. I think he's listed at running back on the depth chart, but it's mostly played wide receiver uh, this year, or the last couple of years. Defensively, you know, they're going to be without um, Jared Verse, uh, who, who's moving on to the NFL. Also going to be without a couple of key starters uh, in the secondary, Jerrion Jones and Renardo Green, both of whom had really strong seasons. Um, it's a, a veteran defense for Florida State this year. That That's going to be something if we're trying to, to look ahead to 2024 and how far this team may or may not fall off. Uh, that's an area where they're they're going to have a lot of work to do, and, and it's going to be a very tough matchup against a Georgia team with Carson Beck coming back. Even though it sounds like Brock Bowers maybe is should be considered doubtful, didn't travel with the team. Um, there've already been some discussions, whispers about you know it, it, maybe he's not fully healthy, healthy enough to play in this one. Lad McConkey, of course, has been dealing with injuries all year. So Georgia might be a little bit shorthanded on that side of the ball. Um, but most of, if, if not all of their primary defenders uh, are expected to play guys like, you know, Javon Bullard and, and uh, Tyke Smith, Kamari Lassiter. Um, last check, we're all expected to play. So this Florida State offense, this is severely shorthanded going up against the Georgia defense, which um other than losing Jamon Dumas Johnson, who we talked about before, transferred to uh, Kentucky, and some of their depth at the linebacker and, and defensive back positions, sounds like for the most part, Georgia State, or excuse me, Georgia is going to be much closer to 100% personnel wise on the defensive side of the ball, uh, specifically. So, very, very tough matchup. Our projection couldn't get anywhere close to the 19 and a half. Um, and could Florida State cover? Yeah, maybe. Um, but but my uh, level of optimism is is not very high there uh, in that one. And then finally, uh, Toledo and Wyoming really interesting to me matchup of of you know group of five uh, teams. Toledo came up short in the MAC championship. It's going to be without DeQuan Finn, who's transferred to Baylor. I believe Penny Boone will not play in this game. He's officially in the portal. Um, probably moving on. Toledo has a ton of uh, veteran uh, defensive players um, who I, I think are going to be playing. Um, but our projection is clearly on the side of Toledo. It should be favored even without two of their best uh, offensive players. Um, but Wyoming is a team that that generally prepares well for bowl games. Uh, this is going to be the end, the, the final game for uh, Craig Bowl. Uh, he's moving on, retiring uh, at Wyoming. So if you want to look for a motivational factor, you know, probably clearly on the Wyoming side of things, win one for their uh, outgoing head coach. Um, so we, we probably, uh, you know, our, our projection probably gives too big of an edge to Toledo. I definitely agree that they are, certainly the more talented team, even with the guys they're going to be playing without. Uh, but Wyoming is one of those teams where, you know, talent edge, uh, talent gap doesn't always matter. They do a pretty good job of, of erasing those. Um, 
those gaps or, or you know, tightening them significantly. So uh, I'm, I'm not super confident in our projection there, but I do think that that uh, has the potential to, to be a fun one and, and is our last uh, group of five versus group of five matchup. So uh, we'll see if we can, you know, uh, come out on top with uh, a wrong team favorite. That is our next to last uh, wrong team favorite projection for uh bowl season as of right now but um wouldn't shock me if Wyoming wins that game but but I still think it's a winnable game for Toledo as well Xavier when you look at these games on Saturday um like we said Ole Miss versus Penn State Auburn Maryland Georgia Florida State Toledo Wyoming what is it that which game are you looking forward to the most I mean I think it's Georgia for you uh but also what do you expect to see from these bowl games yeah, so in the Ole Miss-Penn State game, what interests me the most is is will James Franklin take off the, the training wheels on Drew Aller with, with little stakes at hand? Um, you know, going into next year, I think Penn State will probably be amongst the favorites to win the Big Ten next year, even with the acquisitions of the new teams. And realistically, that's going to be in large part due to the fact that their quarterback situation will be – the only one out of the three big teams currently in the Big Ten that will be unchanged. Um, obviously, we think J.J. McCarthy is going to head to the pros. Um, Kyle McCord's already been in, already transferred away from Ohio State. And so realistically, you think that right now at the quarterback position, at least, Penn State has, uh, you know, a leg up in some respects to the Ohio States and the Michigans. Um, and so I would think that, you know, what better way to kind of show the rest of the country what they're in store for next year than allow Aller to go. Um, and give him the kind of uh, the kind of leash that I thought they would this year to allow him to go into this game and make the proper mistakes um, to make the to make those the ballsy throws to also you know make the right throws, but just allow the kid to f- just have some freedom um, this game in particular. Uh, on the flip side of that, I think Ole Miss in, in a similar fashion has to do the same thing um, for Jackson Dart. But also, I think they are also looking at a team that's going to look a lot different defensively next season. Um, and so I think that for them, they're not even looking too much at this game as a, on defense as anything indicative of what they might be next year. Obviously, we talked about earlier, Walter Nolan, one of the best D tackles in the country coming out of high school, will be available for next year's draft. So when you when you look at it that way, I, I you know I don't see why not Penn why why Penn State doesn't just go after it. just just. Throw all, you know, throw it all to the wind, and really go after it offensively, um, you know, in this ball game. I'm also interested to see the coaching battle. This is one of the more interesting coaching battles: James Franklin versus, um, God, why did his name just, why did his name just leave my head? Lane Kiffin. Thank you. I don't, yeah, you know, um, so I'm, I'm really pretty forgettable guy. So understand. I mean, get your popcorn ready. I was that, that's where I was going if I couldn't figure it out. Uh, but I think, you know, it's, you know, if anything, it's going to be a very interesting coaching battle. Both of these coaches, I think, kind of are thought of in similar situations in their respective conferences. Always just good, good, but not good enough um, in some respects. So I'm interested to see how these two treat the bowl game. Um, but give me Penn State to win this game. Auburn, Maryland. I think the miss of Tully is just going to be too much for Maryland to, to pick up on. On top of that, I feel like Auburn's been playing some pretty darn good football down the stretch. I mean, out after their loss to New Mexico State, I guess that woke up their their senses because they figured out how you know, another year where they figured out not you know had an opportunity there to beat um, Alabama there at the death. So I think that before the New Mexico State game, they obviously were playing some of their best football. They won three straight. The New Mexico State game happens, and I think everybody forgot that like 
Auburn had still been playing rather good football up until that point. They just could not put it together for a game against a G5 program, which sounds so weird. But, yeah, hey, I guess it's, it's college football. It happens. Um, but I'm interested to see if they can carry some of that momentum from the Alabama game into this game. I know they weren't able to complete the, the upset, but they were so very close to doing so. Um, and more than anything, I think what they found down the stretch of this year was they found their identity on offense, right? Peyton Thorne, to a degree, started figuring it out um, in the passing game. Um, and when that wasn't necessarily working, they always obviously remembered that, hey, we've got this, as they called it, not my words, theirs, but a guy who they felt like is very reminiscent of Saquon Barkley and Jarquez Hunter in the backfield. Um, and I think they were able to use him to, to a certain degree. They also figured out ways on defensive end to shut down a lot of the a lot of the run game that teams were trying to use against them early in the year. It's just a team that's been rather competitive, um, but obviously the New Mexico State loss is just a huge blemish on their record. Even with that being said, give me Auburn to win this game over Maryland, who will be missing, who I, I think, a guy who's elevated that program as far as he could, um, in my opinion. I think he, I think in some respects, Maryland maybe didn't hit the heights that they thought they could with Talia there, but I think that he put he 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 brought them to a competitive balance that I didn't see Maryland hitting with anybody else at quarterback. Um, and so hats off to him. He'll probably be a day three guy. If not, he'll be a UDFA. Uh, but I think, like I said, Maryland's going to be missing way too much. I don't even want to talk about this Georgia Florida State with how many opt-out opt out that Florida State has at this point because it's going to be a shellacking. On one end, you've got Florida State players being like, it's not 100% over the fact that they aren't in the playoff. But at the same time, you've got like 40-something percent of their production deciding to get out of there um, and, and, and prepare for the draft. On the flip side, you've got Georgia players really outside of Brock Bowers buying almost all the way in, right? Kamari Lasseter put out a post, I think it was either, either yesterday or this morning, where he was like, there's no way I'm sitting out the bowl game. This is, this is a kid that's going to be probably a top 15, top 20 pick in the draft and was like, there's no way I can miss the bowl game. I owe it to my family. I owe it to the fans. I owe it to my coaches. There's no way I'm sitting out a bowl game. It's football. I came to the school to play football, and it's another football game. Those are two completely identities coming to this game, two completely different identities. And I think it's going to show its ugly head, um, you know, during that game that you've got two teams who I think are just focused on two different things right now. I think you've got a team in Florida State that feels like they missed their opportunity. I feel like you have a team in Georgia that realizes, hey, we didn't make it, but we won the last two. Let's go out and win uh, an Orange Bowl, handle our business. And the, for the guys for the draft, thank you for your services. So I'm not even going to go too much into that. Give me Georgia. The 19 and a half feels low. I'm going to put it out, that, out there because I have no idea what Florida State's quarterback is going to look like. And the one thing that Florida State has always had to be able to lean on is that defense. And you're telling me guys like Jerry versus taking, taking the game off don't see a very good chance for them to be able to stay in this game. But, hey, if they do with a third stringer and seemingly a second string defense, even more reason that you should have put them in the playoff. Um, and then last but not least, Wyoming versus Toledo. Give me Wyoming in this game. I think Wyoming's offense is, you know, or I think Wyoming has been a, a really, you know, a football team this year that's had its opportunities. Um, they finished eight and four, uh, but I thought that within the conference, you know, they had a couple of games where they probably feel slighted. Um, obviously, you start off the year with a with an impressive win over Texas Tech, but you lose to Air Force by seven in a game where that was pretty much back and forth um, all the way throughout. Um, you know, and you know, other than that, you look at the teams that they lost to, they're pretty much they're, – they're considered, at least name-wise, 
And in the case of UNLV, record-wise, the cream of the crop of that conference. So their losses shouldn't be thought of to be, you know, abhorrent or anything like that. You, your, four, your five losses or four losses this year were to Texas, Air Force, Boise State, and UNLV. I, I don't think anybody would run home and be like, you didn't, you know, take your chances when they were there. So I, I really think that um, – I, I really like Wyoming in this matchup in particular. I think that for them – Similarly to what I've said about other teams, they found their footing in November to December uh, into going, coming into this December matchup. They won three of their last four. Um, they did so handily in their last two. You know, good teams beat teams that they're supposed to. And beating Hawaii 42-9 to and then finishing off the year um, and beating Nevada 42-6, to that's what you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, that's what good teams do. Um, so I think Wyoming wins this game. I like the line. Um, I would probably – gut says go under – but it's bowl season, and you never really know what's going to happen. But give me Wyoming to win that game. All right, let's move over to New Year's New Year's Day. Uh, we'll hit the first three games and then hit the playoff games separately. So, Nick, let's start with the Real Quest Bowl between Wisconsin and LSU. Nine and a half is the line in favor of the Tigers here. Fifty-five and a half is the total. Then we move on to the Citrus Bowl. Um, or the Fiesta Bowl, excuse me, Liberty versus Oregon. Uh, Oregon is a 16 and a half point favorite, 66 and a half is the total. Then the Citrus Bowl, uh, yeah, between Iowa and Tennessee. Tennessee is a six and a half point favorite, 35 and a half is the total there. And the public is definitely on Iowa and the under, as they are every single week in terms of <laughs> betting. But uh, your thoughts on these three games before we hit the playoff games? Yeah, uh, the the these three in particular our our projections don't see huge edges one way or the other um the the one exception we do have oregon as a favorite in all three of our projection models expected to cover um the the official projection has tightened a little bit or or our current projection has tightened just a little bit compared to what it was officially because uh right before we started recording sounds like troy franklin is opting out for the ducks so um a little bit of a downgrade there at the the wide receiver position a couple of other receivers have entered the transfer portal so perhaps bo nix who is expected to play uh won't have his full complement of uh, skill position uh weapons to work with there are also a couple of oregon defenders who it sounds like are, are game time decisions including jordan birch the defensive lineman so um Perhaps Oregon, you know, even though they haven't been hit hard by opt-outs or, or transfers, or at least as hard as we might have expected, being one of those teams that came up short of a, a playoff bid and, and is a big favorite against a group of five opponent, uh, Liberty, in this game, uh, this this Oregon team is, is clearly more talented. They are, uh, you know, the, their two losses came both to undefeated Washington teams. Um, they were briefly the number one team in our power rankings after that uh, Pac-12 title game loss to Washington. Um, they're currently number two, so uh, they're they're just a, a really really solid team, talented team. Have played very well. Number two in team performance overall. Number two in offensive team performance. Um, they do have their uh, Heisman finalist quarterback Bo Nix available uh, for this game. 
maybe he uh, you know doesn't play the whole game not 100% sure uh we shall see but uh, this Oregon team i think is is uh, healthy enough and and close to full strength enough even though guys like bucky irving jackson powers johnson have already um said that they are going to the nfl uh i i think as of right now those guys are are planning to play franklin is i think the only one who's um officially opted out or or highly reported to have opted out um so we we shall see that liberty team great season undefeated 13 and 0 caden salter perfect fit at quarterback in that jamie chadwell offense um they run the ball incredibly well i mean the raw numbers are are among the best in the country efficiency wise our numbers are, are a little bit lower they're 16th in rushing team performance uh overall but they are incredibly efficient throwing the football top 10 in offensive team performance passing um and you know cj daniels has had a huge huge year uh so they can stretch the field you know if you start to try to load up and, and stop Quentin Cooley, Billy Lucas, that run game, Caden Salter, his ability uh, to, to run, um, you know, they can, they can hurt you with a, a deep pass uh, to Daniels or Noah Frith or, uh, you know, uh, Elijah Smoot, Trion Sibley, all those guys have, have uh, made big plays so far this year. Um, Liberty defensively, they're vulnerable, 54th in defensive team performance. Uh, a little bit better against the pass. They're 30th against the pass, 73rd against the run. But, um, you know, the the difference in uh, talent, roster strength, is is just huge. I mean, Liberty is 66th in overall roster strength. Uh, they are top 40 offensively, but 91st on defense. And even a shorthanded Oregon team, um, uh, understandably, big, big favorite. And our projections expect them to cover. Uh, the, the LSU Wisconsin game, you know, our projection is really close. We have LSU favored by almost nine. So are technically on Wisconsin plus nine and a half in our team strength model, the talent edge model, which as we said a few times has been a little bit sharper so far this year that actually has LSU as a double digit favorite. I think I would lean to LSU on this one. Um, Heisman trophy winner, Jaden Daniels will not play, but, uh, Nussmeyer coming in has an opportunity to, uh, you know, get a, a full, uh, prep, uh, full month to prep Garrett Nussmeyer, Garrett Nussmeyer, um, ahead of, uh, 2024, where he is expected of course, to, to take over as the starter. Uh, and Daniels is the only player currently who is, uh, not expected to play, uh, among their, you know, regular starting group. Um, so Logan Diggs, back and healthy at running back. Malik Neighbors, All-American uh, wide receiver. Brian Thomas, huge year. Both of those guys are expected to play. Um, Will Campbell, I believe, the left tackle, uh, good to go. Um, so this this LSU team, you know, they have had some, some transfers here and there, a couple of backup running backs, a couple of uh, depth pieces, on the offensive line in the secondary defensive line but it sounds like you know this is going to be other than Jaden daniels pretty close to 100 uh, percent elsewhere they're even getting a little healthier on defense sounds like makai wingo who's missed uh, a chunk of time towards the end of the year is going to be uh back and, and available um so I, I think that this lsu team is just better 
You know, I mean, they they just they they seem like even without the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, you know, Garrett Nussmeyer played incredibly well toward the end of the year in 2022. Seems like he's just ready to to step in and and um, take over this offense. Different player, obviously, but um, really has looked good as a passer in the past and. and uh, has his, his full complement of weapons around him. So I think LSU matches up quite well against a Wisconsin team that's been really hit or miss, you know, came in as I believe our, our highest rated Big Ten West team, uh, lost uh, five games uh, the, the, the month uh, of October and, and early November was not kind to Wisconsin, um, lost uh, four out of five there between the Iowa and, and Northwestern games finished the season relatively strong, but they're going to be shorthanded on offense. They've been without Chesma Lucy most of the year running back did get good news that he is going to be returning in 2024. Uh, but Braylon Allen is not going to be playing in this game, moving on to the NFL. So uh, Jackson Acker, Cade Yacomelli are going to be taking over at running back. Um, but uh, you know, this, this Wisconsin team, uh, we did not see, uh, the the progression we did not see the the improvement on the offensive side of the ball as we expected when Phil Longo was hired took over as, as offensive coordinator they are a top twenty five defense so this is a you know strength versus strength or, or weakness versus weakness kind of situation but LSU's strengths on offense I think are a little bit better than Wisconsin's strengths on defense and and I'm not hundred percent sure that this Wisconsin offense. Uh, is going to be able to, to take advantage of what truly has been a, a poor LSU defense this season. Uh, but I just think that, you know, the talent advantage uh, and what LSU has at its disposal uh, is just going to be too much to, to overcome in that one. Um, Iowa, Tennessee. Yeah, I, I agree with the market and our projections are on Iowa to cover the six and a half across the board. I would expect those numbers to, to continue continue to tighten um iowa defensively is about as good as it gets number four in our defensive team performance numbers we all know the struggles that iowa has had on offense um but i'm not 100 sure that tennessee is is really going to be able to, to take advantage um we are going to get to see nico uh Iama leva uh as you know his first start uh, joe milton has opted out of this game for Tennessee, um, but Tennessee is going to be really shorthanded on defense. Not you know, not to the extent that uh, we should expect an Iowa offensive explosion. But you know, this was a top thirty defense and team performance, top thirty against the run. Uh, but they are going to be without Tyler Barron, their elite pass rusher who is transferring to Ole Miss, and they're going to be without. I mean, basically a, a two deeps worth of. Uh, defensive backs. There's a, a complete uh, turnover there. Other than Jalen McCullough, who's been a starter, and Gabe Judy Lolly, who, who's been off and on one of their you know more uh, consistent uh, contributors there in the secondary. Just about everybody else is you know a, a part timer at best, uh, who's going to be playing. Assuming that the what by my count seven. Uh, defensive backs, and then a couple of guys who've been injured uh, are not expected to play. So um, Tennessee, I think, shorthanded uh, on defense, transition, true freshman uh, at quarterback, um, going up against an elite Iowa defense. 
this this seems like a spot, and Kirk Ferentz has a great track record on, uh, in bowl games as well. Um, I, I feel like, you know, even though we don't have Iowa favored to win, uh, I think personally um, I, I would be very interested or, or, you know, be really looking at uh, a money line spot for, for Iowa in this game. I think that it's definitely a game uh, that they can win. Um, Tennessee, more talented team certainly, but – uh, just just feel a little bit better about Iowa uh, in bowl games and and that defense going up against uh, a true freshman quarterback. Xavier, your thoughts on three New Year's Day games before the playoffs? Yeah, so I mean the 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 issue. Obviously, I was thinking about it as Nick was talking about the opt out situation and and just thinking about how I think as a kid these games were so important to me, <laughs> but now. They're just not, you know, they're not all. They're just just not of the same level uh, that they originally were. So, for me, first and foremost, we talk about Wisconsin, LSU. Nick hit around the head. Um, I don't think Wisconsin's good enough offensively to take advantage of a bad LSU defense. I also think you're looking at a quarterback in Nussmeyer who's not scared. Uh, the last time we saw Nussmeyer, you know, play, I think important minutes, semi-important minutes, was in the SEC championship game last year, and you know, arguably he came out of that game with a lot of people thinking. This guy is pretty good. Um, you know, threw a couple of you know deep shots against the Georgia secondary. Was maybe able to show some things on tape for Ohio State team that obviously would kind of do the same thing in the in the playoff game just a couple of weeks later. Uh, but not a kid who's like I said afraid to go out there and show his talent off. You know, I came running to this here podcast after watching LSU spring game and going, I think Garrett Nesmith was probably the best guy out there. Um, so, you know, I think. The, the drop off is obviously going to be big from Heisman Trophy winner to, to get Gary Nussmeyer, but I don't think it's big enough for Wisconsin to win this game. Um, on top of that, you know, LSU is not going to be missing much on the outside. And when you've got not one, but possibly two guys who could go, you know, who could get drafted in the top 10 at the receiving core on the outside, I think Wisconsin is going to be in for one hell of a day. Um, LSU is getting bigger in the middle with Makai Wingo coming back. Um, and obviously, with Wisconsin being a run heavy team, that's really helping. It really helps to get a back guy back who's 300 plus pounds in the middle. So give me LSU in that one. Uh, Liberty, Oregon, I, I'm hoping for a barn burner. I'm hoping for 55, 52. Um, I'm really hoping for that. Do I think that'll happen? No. Uh, I just think that Oregon is too balanced um, of a team to to allow something like this to happen. Um, when you watch a lot of Liberty games, they kind of get teams almost like, how do I put it? They almost coerce teams into doing a shootout by the way that they play and how quickly they score. Uh, but oftentimes, I think, you know, and I watch their championship game, teams just can't score with them. Well, this working team can. Um, and on top of that, they've got a defense that has come around towards the back half of the year and I think has been, you know, marginally better. But all it takes is a couple of uh, – all it takes is for them to be marginally better when you have an offense led by Bo Nix with Bucky Irvin and company. I think that offense will – I think that offense will be perfectly fine. I know, Nick, you said Troy Franklin will, will be opting out, correct? Um, but I do think that without him, they'll still be fine on the outside. Uh, Bo Nix didn't get to 77% completion percentage just on the Detroit Franklin this year. So I think he'll be perfectly fine. Um, and, and some of the guys that he's going to be able to toss the ball around to. And like I said, the balance that they possess, they are a team that is perfectly fine with running the ball 30 times and throwing it 25 times. On the flip side, they're perfectly fine with going with a 35 to 25 split in favor of the pass game. And I think Liberty is just going to be a little bit too outmatched um, in this matchup because uh, like unlike previous teams that we've seen in these bowl games, their defense, there's not enough guys on that defense that that come <clears throat> that come to mind right away 
that are going to be able to stop that Oregon offense. Iowa, Tennessee. <sighs> I think this is where mm-hmm. I'm going to take my nap. Um, personally, uh, not, not, not no no slouch to Tennessee. Uh, and I really do want to watch Nico play his first game. I'm actually really excited for that. But Iowa football this year has not necessarily been, you know, must-see TV. Unless you bet the under, then you've been locked in to every single snap. Uh, but I think Iowa does not have a good enough offense to capitalize. You know, I, even though it's going to be a kid's first game, um, it's going to be on a rather large, uh, rather large stage. Excuse me. Iowa doesn't doesn't have the offense to feed, make Tennessee scared in, in in certain respects, and I think their defense might be able to hold up for a quarter. You know, maybe a quarter, uh, maybe two, right? But does their defense have enough talent? And it has been. It, will it be good enough in the turnover battle for them to pick off Nico two or three times and give themselves a short field, or will it be good enough to really give their team their offense like scoring opportunities every single time they touch the football? I'm not sure. I think for Tennessee, they're going to do much like they did with Joe Milton last year, where they say to themselves, "All right, Joe, it's a bowl game. Give us what we're going to get next year," and they're going to let him air it out. They're going to let him test that secondary. They're going to let him, you know, go four or five wide. And Nick will be coming running back to this podcast like he did about Joe Milton last year, talking about Joe Milton's the guy. I think he could be the guy. And this time he'll be talking about Nico, which I have a much more of an affinity for than Joe Milton at this point in their careers. All right. Let's get to the playoff here. Two playoff games, obviously, on Monday. The first one is the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Michigan. The line is Michigan by a point and a half, 44 and a half is the total. And uh, my big one, of course, the Sugar Bowl, uh, Texas versus Washington. Texas is a four and a half point favorite. 62 and a half is the total in that game. Nick, who moves on? (laughs) Well, finally, finally, uh, Michigan has moved into number one in our power rankings. (laughs) It took all season. It took. Uh, all of the you know end of the regular season updates to uh, production points on the defensive side of the ball, which is always a little bit of a uh, stressful uh, lift for us to do. Um, you know, in the early weeks uh, after the the season is over. Uh, but Michigan, which has been number one in overall team performance so far this year, has been number one overall defensive team performance, number one against the run as well, top fifteen and offensive team performance, um, they've moved into the number one spot in roster strength. Uh, a lot of that based on those added production points. But, um, you know, certainly Michigan has, has recruited quite well uh, also, but their top three, both offense and defense, roster strength. Um, according to our numbers right now, Michigan is is the team to beat. So uh, it is not a surprise that we have Michigan favored against Alabama. Um, maybe a little bit of a surprise because I know a lot of the early buzz was that Alabama, you know, having having maybe been fortunate to get into the playoff, um, like oh now we've we've given you know a Nick Saban coached Alabama team uh, uh, another uh, road to a national championship, um, and and I can understand that I, I certainly do respect uh, this Alabama team, but like we've said all year, even though they are improving even though they are um number two in roster strength number one on the defensive side of the ball um they have gotten better and better over the course of the year this to me and and my eyes and and on our numbers 
this isn't the same Alabama team as those national championship teams we've gotten used to. Now, is this Michigan team a dominant, uh, you know, group like the Georgia teams of the last couple of years where we saw two years ago, one of the best defenses in our current era, um, you know, the Alabama team in 2020 was considered perhaps uh, one of the best of all time offensively graded out as, as, uh, arguably the best offense of all time. The year after the 2019 LSU team was the best year, you know, best offense of all time or, or one of the best teams of all time. So we perhaps were a little bit spoiled in the last four or five seasons um, to where it seemed like we were getting a glimpse of, if not the best overall team we've seen, uh, maybe one of the best units this year. That That's not the case. There's really been no clear number one, in my opinion, all, all season, even though Georgia going into the, the SEC championship game uh, was number one in all the polls. They were, you know, number number four in our power rankings. Um, so any of these four teams could win, and, and I probably uh, w- would say that, you know, this side of uh, the, the bracket, so to speak, uh, probably would be who I would expect, if not, if not Michigan, then Alabama. Alabama's fifth in our power rankings. They're our next highest rated um, semifinalist, uh, actually. So uh, whoever wins this game is probably going to be favored to, to win the national championship, uh, according to our numbers. Uh, but we do have Michigan as a slight favorite. Uh, do think that Jalen Milrow, as well as he has played this year, um, you know, going up against the number one, defense in the country according to our team performance numbers that's going to be tough uh it sounds like jace mcmillan the starting running back he says he's 100 uh but he didn't look great health-wise in the sec championship game hopefully over the last month or so that's you know he's been able to get back up and, and close to full speed um but this alabama offense which is 13th in offensive team performance overall number 12 passing number 43 rushing I don't. I don't know. I. I. Uh, this. This offense, other than Milro, who has been legitimately an explosive playmaker, um, I, this. This offensive unit just doesn't have guys that jump off the screen at me like previous national championship contending Alabama teams have. Um, can they? do enough to win? Yeah, certainly. And the defense, even though it only grades out as a top 20, you know, defensive team performance uh, level defense, 18th overall, 11th against the pass, 32nd against the run. I mean, it is, of course, absolutely loaded with talent and production. I mean, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, one of the best linebacker duos in the country. They are both well over 100 in our individual player rankings. Uh, Dallas Turner is a 123 right now. Chris Braswell is a 118. Um, they've got guys over 100 on the defensive line. Justin uh, Ebogby, uh is over 100 in the secondary. Both Kool Aid McKinstry and Malachi Moore and Terry and Arnold are all three over 100. Uh, Caleb Downs is closing in. He's at a 96. So you know, once we upgrade him to a sophomore next year, he'll be over 100. So I mean, the, you know, the the level of talent on both of these defenses is incredible. But this Alabama defense is, uh, I mean, I think 
it's safe to say now because they are number one in roster strength uh and their roster strength rating is a 101 so as a unit over 100 um because we took off the cap this year and, and don't max out at 100 safe to say this is the highest rated defense we've ever had um you know that matches up pretty well against a michigan offense that maybe doesn't have that elite standout playmaker either i mean jg mccarthy showed flashes early in the year but he hasn't been asked to do very much uh, especially down the stretch and you know the numbers haven't been uh spectacular the rushing offense where it looked like they had the best one-two running back duo in the country coming in blake quorum and donovan edwards you know quorum's touchdown numbers are off the charts uh and his pass production is great but you know their their rushing team performance numbers are the top 40 nationally not not that elite level uh that we expected we've seen roman wilson step up and, and make some big plays um but overall you know does the the michigan wide receiver group really impress you or, or look like uh the type of unit that's going to go out and and uh, make a, a huge game-winning uh, play or, or take over the game against that Alabama secondary? You know, no, not really. So this is probably going to be a pretty low-scoring game with two of the best defenses, most talented defenses in the country. Um, maybe a special teams play, maybe a defensive uh, touchdown or turnover is, is going to be the difference. Um, and I give I give Michigan a very slight edge because they have been – at times quite dominant still have been waiting on alabama uh, to really be dominant um but it's a it's a fairly even matchup we do have michigan favored by a field goal um in our team strength projection talent edge michigan by two uh the prism model likes michigan by close to a touchdown so this is a situation where all three of our models are on the favorite to cover that has been a very good scenario for us this year, but it is what, worth mentioning that for whatever reason, in a fairly small sample, but over the last you know, five, six years, um, our projections haven't been that great in you know, uh, playoff matchups. So keep that in mind. Hopefully you know, the tide will turn a little bit, um, pun not intended there since we're on Michigan. But um, uh, the, you know, this numbers-wise, we're we're on Michigan. Um, I think I agree with that because I, I just have been a little bit more impressed with Michigan than I have Alabama so far this year. Uh, moving on to the other matchup, I mentioned you know on our our uh, very brief selection show recap uh, piece that we did a few shows ago. I'm I'm fir- firmly rooting for Texas for your sake, Scott. Um, but our projection, boy, that's my guy right there. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. I, so I'm, I'm rooting against our projections here. Cause we do have Washington as a slight favorite. um, have them favored by less than a point in our team strength model, have the talent edge Washington favored by three, um, which is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, and then our prism model has, has Texas favored, uh, but by less than the four and a half that our, our official, uh, projection is is going against uh, Washington is uh, up to number six in our power rankings, but you know still on the the outside looking in would be an underdog to either Alabama or Michigan uh, in the championship game. 
Uh, do, of course, have a lot of respect for what Michael Penix has done this year. Uh, his, his play toward the end of the year, not quite as good as it was uh, at the very beginning. Dylan Johnson has really picked up the slack. Uh, they really rode him in the Pac-12 championship game and toward the tail end of the season. So do think that, that this Washington rushing attack has, has uh, been something to uh, uh, be, uh, you know, it's been a real positive for Washington to, to show that they don't just succeed slinging it around with Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, uh, Polk and McMillan, who've, you know, for different reasons uh, had a little bit less than spectacular finishes to the season. McMillan, of course, dealing with injury a big chunk of the year. Polk kind of disappeared a little bit at times in the month of November, uh, but hopefully the break will do some good for both of those guys. Roma Dunza, of course, has been, you know, an all-American caliber wide receiver all season. Um, and Penix is the, the Heisman runner-up. So uh, Washington offensively definitely will be a, a major test for Texas. Um, top five or top six, I should say. There's six in overall uh, offensive team performance. Um, but as an overall team, you know, Washington's six in the power rankings, but they are barely top 20 in team performance. Um, you know, this, this team is not fraudulent. They have stepped up. They've beaten, you know, Oregon, who, who's been a, a number one or number two uh, power rated team for us uh, for a while. Um, they've beaten them twice. They've, they've, you know, found ways to win. Um, they have not looked great at times against, you know, some less than, than uh, super impressive competition, the Arizona state game, the Stanford game stick out to me. Um, but they have found ways to get it done and they found ways to win where, you know, the numbers suggested that they might not, they had, you know, a 34% post game win expectancy against Utah found a way to win 33% against Oregon state found a way to win uh, in Corvallis. Tough place, of course, to play. Um, so this Washington team has exceeded expectations, and they've exceeded, um, you know, what the numbers would suggest. And and so uh, maybe they're they're a team that just is able to to overcome or or, or overachieve compared to uh, our projections. Even though our projections have been you know pretty high on Washington, and as I mentioned, have them favored in, in this game. Texas is number six in our or excuse me, number seven in our power rankings. They have been a better team on the field compared to Washington. They're number six in overall team performance, uh, top ten defensively. I mean, we've we've had this show for what five years, and a big uh, sort of theme over a lot of that time was the the lack of success on the defensive side of the ball for Texas. You know, tackling was often an issue. We've given up big plays. They have fixed that this year. They are number six in defensive team performance. Uh, they are top 10 against the run. So, you know, match up pretty well against Dylan Johnson and, and that Washington rushing offense. They are top 25 against the pass. So a little bit more susceptible there, but uh, certainly I think, uh, capable of, of stepping up and, and uh, you know, there, there won't be a huge advantage on uh, that matchup with Washington. Yeah. Michael Penix, that wide receiver group, they, they will get theirs, I think, but um, it's not like there's a huge uh, edge to Washington uh, on, on that side of the ball. Offensively, you know, Texas doesn't grade out uh, quite as well. They're, they're 22nd on, on the offensive side of the ball 
in overall team performance, top 20 passing, top 30 rushing. And the, the area that concerns me just a little bit, Texas is less than 100% healthy on, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, of course, Jonathan Brooks was off to such a, a great start this season, played incredibly well uh, at running back. He suffered a season-ending injury. C.J. Baxter has all the talent in the world. Jaden Blue has been very good. Uh, Killian Robinson has a, a role as a, a playmaker. Um, so they're going to be fine. But, you know, that that Texas uh, running back group, less than than full strength. Probably more depth than Washington, certainly. So it's, it's you know, you, you could argue that they're in a, an okay spot there. But that just isn't an item worth noting. And then how healthy is Xavier Worthy? Um, went down with an injury in the Big 12 championship game. Um, sounds like he's practicing, trending toward uh, being able to play, I believe, uh, but haven't heard anything uh, in, in the last couple of days. Um, but Adnan Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, Jatavian Sanders, they're playmakers in that receiving group. Uh, interested to see if we see a true freshman like Jontae Cook step up uh, in, in the, the, you know, month leading up practice wise uh for this game maybe we'll see a little bit of a, a coming out party for him uh or perhaps you know a, a deandre moore um we'll see that that texas wide receiver group um uh, the depth is is maybe a slight issue casey kane uh entered the transfer portal is committed to unlv as a nares left they haven't counted on either of those guys very much this year but um, don't believe we're going to see either of them. So, uh, with Worthy potentially not 100, percent you know what's what's the situation going to be there? Is is Mitchell, is Washington, um, or will one of those freshmen you know have to step up and, and make some plays? Or Jatavian Sanders, who's a little bit limited at the end of the regular season, but uh, would expect is is back. Had a huge you know Big 12 championship game. Um, so I, I think that that Texas does match up well. They're going to you know, limit Washington's strengths on offense uh, and then their defense, uh, or excuse me, the, the Washington defense, which has been susceptible. Um, I, I think Washington, uh, or excuse me, I think Texas, you know, has has the talent, if not uh, the depth to match up pretty well there. So this should be a great game. Both of them should be a great game. All, you know, all four teams, I think, are capable not only of winning their matchups, this weekend, but, um, or, or next week, uh, but they're also capable of winning the national championship. So I think I'm as excited as, as I've been for any playoff semifinal we've had. These do seem to be the most evenly matched games we've had. Hopefully the games themselves, uh, will, will play out that way also. But like I said, rooting for Texas for you, Scott, and, uh, you know, good luck, good luck on, uh, on Monday. Well, I appreciate that. And obviously, uh, you know, a lot of rooting interest for myself. Xavier, the playoff games, man. H how yep. do you see them playing off? How do you see them playing? And who is going to the natty? Yeah, I think when you when you look at both of these games, like Nick alluded to, very even matchups, in my opinion, and probably our most even matchups that we've gotten thus far in the playoff, um, which is exciting uh, because it's obviously the last time of the four years, which is necessary. Um, but when I look at Alabama, Michigan, this comes to one thing and one thing only who wins the trenches. Um, it's not going to be a lot of conjecture there on that. In my opinion, whoever wins the trenches wins that ball game. If Blake Corum and Dwayne hat and Dwayne Haskins, 
Sorry. Uh, sorry. Yikes. Uh, my bad. Um, if Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards can get it going, then there's no answer Bama has. Um, they just don't. This is a thing. This is a theme that I thought actually would rear its ugly head in the Georgia game. But Georgia obviously lost her left tackle earlier in the, early in the Marius Mims, and the run game really just didn't get going. Um, on top of that, there was really no Brock Bowers um, for them to go to in a bind on a consistent basis. The problem that Alabama has had this year with the run has been noted, especially with quarterbacks who are a little bit more athletic than, you know, given credit. Um, I think J.J. McCarthy, I think that running game, I think – they will use a lot of heavy play action. They're going to make those linebackers flow left and right. They're going to get guys like Dallas Turner on their toes um, in this game and not allow them to get a comfortability of flying upfield and making plays. So they're going to make them do that. Um, that's obviously indicative of a pro-style offense. So that's first and foremost. When you look at Alabama's offense, and this is going to be interesting, can they hit on the big plays that they have to hit on to win games? I want people – I stress this so hard. In the in the SEC championship game, Alabama hit on every single big play they needed. They got the all-important fumble from the um, from Georgia that led to a touchdown. They get the all-important amazing catch that, in hindsight, wasn't a catch, and then ultimately touchdown before halftime. Every time Alabama needed to make a play, that they got one. And I think at the end of the day, that's going – that's – makes for a very small margin of error when you watch this Bama team. They don't have a big margin for ever, error. It's really not all that much. Um, so if Michigan can get them to go three and out more times than not, they're going to win this game. It's going to come down to another matchup for me, Will Johnson. I know he's just a sophomore. It's time. You got to be a grown man in this game. You're going to be put on Jermaine Burton, um, and you're going to have to win that win that matchup. That's um, Taylor Milrow's guy. That's his first read most of the time. And if he can win that matchup, Will Johnson, and take Jermaine Burton out of the game, it's going to be a real tough time for the Alabama passing game. That has yet to show really anybody just yet that they can be consistent enough in games. It's one thing to hit their big plays, but can you be consistent enough for four quarters against a Michigan team that's probably the best secondary they've played this year, um, in my opinion? but doesn't have necessarily the 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 front four talent. So they're definitely going to force them to be a good passing team. Um, on the Alabama side, on defense, Dallas Turner. Go wreak havoc, kid. You did it in the Georgia game. You can do it in this game. Um, Michigan's going to be missing Zach Zinter, as they have been for a while now, uh, the All-American center. And obviously their offensive line is not nearly as good without, without him than it is with him, but they're just going to struggle. Um. Without him, excuse me. So Dallas Turner in that front four has to get to JJ. Um, he's not a guy who is all that creative in the pocket. He's athletic, but not necessarily as a passer. I'm sorry, not necessarily as a runner in the, in, in the pocket. So I really feel like if Alabama can get home, similarly to what they did against Carson Beck, you have an opportunity. Obviously, you know, JJ is going to put the ball in harm's way. He did it last year against TCU when they really needed him to, um, when they really needed him to throw the ball, excuse me. And I think they, that, that can happen in this game. I'm leaning towards Michigan because, and, I, and I, this is going to sound crazy, my reason. Michigan's been there before. This iteration had, of Michigan has been there before. I feel like for the first time, I think maybe in the Saban era, I feel more comfortable with Michigan because of the fact that they were here last year than I do a Saban-led team that, you know, wasn't, you know, and, and 
this iteration of Bama led by Jalen Milrow hasn't been there at all or even sniffed it. So I really feel comfortable with Michigan in this game. I feel comfortable with Harbaugh and the way he'll coach this game as well. Um, so I like Michigan in the first matchup. In matchup number two, I hate to do this, Scott. Come on, Xavier. Come on. I'm currently in my mom's house. My mom is a Washington alumni. All right. I just, am going to whisper who you really want to win. <laughs> I, I do expect this to be a really good game. My only question with Texas is, A, are they healthy enough? Because missing Xavier Worthy changes the dynamic of their offense. And B, is Quinn Ewers going to be consistent enough? He has had his moments, right? Obviously, we hark him all the way back to them beating Alabama in T-Town, where he was probably, probably arguably his best performance of the year. But Quinn Ewers has not, for me, been consistent enough week in and week out to say in this game, he's not going to give Washington some opportunities. Um, a team that has had a ton. And people people should know this about Washington coming into this week. Washington is a secondary-laden team. They always have been, always will be. That is a team that loves, that, that coaches up secondaries really well. If you don't believe me, check their history as far as the guys who have been drafted. They're really good at coaching secondaries. <laughs> so I, I expect them to make it difficult for yours. And then Braylon Trice, can he wreak enough havoc to make Quinn Ewers uncomfortable? And more importantly, stop a Texas run game that I think when their offense, when their passing game hasn't had it going, they've always been able to lean on that running game. And when I say lean on, I think Texas has one of the more physical run games in the country outside of probably Michigan. And when you watch them play, as far as, you know, their run game, they genuinely lean on you. It feels very much, even though maybe not to the same elite fashion, it definitely feels like Derrick Henry, Trent Richardson. I'm, we're just going to run the football with a big back, bruise you up for three quarters. And then in the fourth, those five-yard runs will turn to 15. Those four-yard runs will turn to 14. And we'll get our win, and we'll be able to take that seven- or eight-minute drive in the fourth quarter when we really need to and, you know, and go on home. So that's – uh, that's for me where I look at this game and go, I expect it to come down to the quarterback play at this point. And I just believe in Penix. The kids are a heater. I, I just feel like that in his receiving core, if he gets hot early and he can find a rhythm against that Texas team early on, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's how I feel about Washington in general, whether they're playing Texas, Alabama, Michigan. If he gets to Roma Dunes early, if Jalen, if McMillan and Polk are able to find room early and find space, and he gets comfortable and in a rhythm, there's nothing you can do about it. He's the best quarterback in this playoff, in my opinion. And if he can show that all, if he can show that, then Washington's going to have its first national championship in a very long time. But let's talk talk about this one for just to talk about this one in particular. It's going to be it, it, Texas. It's imperative that you get him off his spot. He trusts his arm way too much. I'm doing draft prep. He trusts he trusts his arm way too much. If you can get him off of his spot, he will put the ball in harm's way. He trusts his receiver to win all 50-50 balls. He doesn't believe that they're 50-50. He believes they're 60-40 and 70-30. It's imperative that what that Texas's corners stay in phase and know where the football is. Because both Roman Dunes and Jalen McMillan are amazing when the ball is in the air of creating just enough space to get open. Just enough space away from the corner to get free, and that's how you get those those you know. How did Roma Dunes catch that football? Well, you know, it gives a little chicken wing right before the ball's in the air. DB falls off of him, no PI, catch the football in the end zone, easy touchdown. So they've got to do that. But I think, and this is the last thing I'll say about Washington. 
Washington might be the most prepared of anybody in the playoff of going against high-end QBs. And I don't know if we if we if we understand that enough going into this game. They are they arguably played the best quarterback in the country as far as when we're looking at from top to bottom this year. Um, you know, you take obviously Caleb Williams playing Bo Nix twice. Their preparation for these quarterbacks is going to be really interesting to me of how they prepare for Quinn Ewers, knowing that they have played two of arguably, you know, I think they were both, you know, obviously last year's Heisman winner and then this year Heisman contender. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how the, if that helps them in these kind of contests. Um, you know, obviously Quinn Ewers is going to have to make those big throws. But the one thing Texas will have going forward is they have A.D. Mitchell. That is going to be a guy that they're going to lean on in this game. He's been there. He's done that now multiple times. He's going to be a guy that I think if Xavier Worthy is not 100%, that's the equalizer in that in that wide receiver room. That's the guy who I look at that goes out there and has an eight-catch, 160, you know, two-touchdown game, you know, and think about what they can do without Xavier Worthy. I'm going to lead on Washington, but I think this is going to be my favorite of the two matchups um, in this game. I really can see this game coming down to a game-winning field goal, to be perfectly honest. Can't wait to see you be wrong on that. <laughs> so uh, fingers crossed that it happens that way. But look, uh, we're going to have a lot to discuss next week when we know who is going to the natty. Uh, but remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at campus to Canton for campus to Canton at Bogman sports for myself at CFB winning edge for Nicholas Ian Allen and at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Uh, have a happy new year. Have a safe new year. And we will see you guys next week to talk about the Natty. Take it easy, everybody.